friends and welcome to the second season of the I Belong Here podcast. I'm so excited to bring this new season to all of you and thank you so much for staying with us during the first one, for all the sharing, retweeting, posting, etc. I'm so excited for you to discover all the new role models that we have interviewed because you are going to listen to lots of stories, lots of backgrounds, lots of cool science and overall lots of women empowerment. So now, sit back, relax, and have fun listening to all the episodes. And she said, don't you change, but I can't help these thoughts up in my brain, yeah. She's breaking me down. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of 2022. Today I have a good friend of mine and a really special guest with me. It's Miss Charlie Bingham. Hey, Charlie. Hello. Hello, how are you today? Me. I'm great, thank you. I'm really happy to be here finally. Yes, it took us <laughs> some time to organize this interview. And uh, before we start, let me tell you guys that Charlie and I are good friends and we, we don't text like written texts. We actually send voice texts, which are very long. So we are going to try that this episode is not as long as our voice text because we will be here for ages. <laughs> But for sure, it's going to be a fun and uplifting conversation, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so before I start to ask you a lot of questions that I have about your trajectory and your vision about many different things in science, I want the audience to know a bit more about you so we can start um, this brilliant conversation that I'm sure, I'm sure is going to be. So Charlie is at the beginning of her journey and is a master's student, currently studying, studying journalism with a focus on her love for wildlife and conservation. Charlie has had a varied journey so far, coming from an archaeology degree into conservation, but is hoping to showcase how a varied skill set can be beneficial in the workplace. Charlie is passionate about empowering women and parents in STEM. As a single mother to two boys, she has seen firsthand the struggles of being a woman and a parent in academia and now in the workplace. Charlie's goal is to become a wildlife broadcaster and an author and hopes to inspire others in a similar position to reach for the dreams. So this is very encouraging. And when I read your bio, the first thing that it came to my mind was motivation and passion. And I'm really yeah. interested about both your actual trajectory and the future of your career, you know, because it seems that it's very much related to communication, right? And yes. if I can say that about myself as a communicator myself, I'm very interested as well about this perspective. So would you care to tell us a bit more about what's this thing that you are doing now with journalism and what, what's, what's this all about? What's it all about? The big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think how I'm how I'm trying to frame things is I I've obviously I've been I've done an archaeology degree. I've experienced sort of life from being inside that sort of scientific community. But my my strengths, my skills, my passions lie within writing. They lie within talking to people. You know, I used to I used to be a musical theatre student, so standing Ooh, up and talking cool. to people isn't isn't an issue for me. In fact, I thrive on it. So I think I, I want to take the sort of the experience from within the scientific community and sort of 
make it accessible make all this research accessible because you know there's there's some amazing stuff going on you know in archaeology in conservation in sort of all walks of life is going on and we're not commun well I don't feel like it's all being communicated and I think you need people to sort of bridge that gap between the public and the research because you know some 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 researchers maybe don't feel quite as confident going out there and talking about their research you know you know going on going on podcasts going on tv talking about things so i think we need people to bridge that gap and to make it translate it almost translate it from the scientific paper to the wider audience and make it accessible to the general public well i think it's quite um <clears throat> excuse me like a very pertinent trajectory to have in science, right? Because sometimes, well, I'm a practical scientist. I'm always in the lab. You know, I work in academia and I feel that sometimes we do these very cool things and science is so inaccessible to absolutely yeah. everyone. And sometimes I feel that not only as academics, I'm not going to just put academia in one bag, if that makes sense. Like scientists, we don't get taught how to communicate Yes, we do go to conferences, we explain our results, we kind of, you know, if you do a PhD, you will have a thesis defense and you communicate your results, but not to like a wider audience or people that are not scientists, that they also need to know what we are doing for important things like you want to do, which is, you know, preservation of wildlife. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's great that, because I know how amazing communicator you are, so I think it's great to count with your skills for this really great purpose, which requires passion and motivation as well. So I think it's awesome that you are putting your efforts into this. Yes. Well, I think, as you say, you know, there's so much, so, so many amazing researchers and you go and do your, your conferences, you go and do your PhD Viva, but it's all to people within your community. Mm. It's, you know, if you go to a conference, you know, if, if, if I, when I went to archaeology conferences, it was archaeologists, it was archaeological scientists. It wasn't, people off the street coming in and listening to what we were saying it was it was talking it was sharing the information and it was a it was like a circular process hmm. you know we do the research it goes to another researcher it gets taught to students who then become the researchers and it just goes round and round and round if we don't communicate it and get it out there i almost feel like what's the point what's the exactly. point in the work if we're not sharing it because that's that's why we do it and that's how things progress is by sharing it and making people understand helping people to understand so exactly like, like I said, our job seems sometimes so inaccessible from the outside. And I think it's such a shame. Even sometimes you don't need to go, you know, to a science festival or I don't know, to a talk to someone. Like when I am with my friends, when I go back to Spain for holidays or something, and then my friends ask me, what do you, well, they don't ask me, what do you do? I need to force the conversation because all of them are artists. So they don't care about science, to be honest. But, you know, oh, this this month I was doing this in the lab and then my plans are these, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes when I tell them what I do in the lab, they just look at me like, you really do that? We had no idea that it was A, so easy to understand and B, how amazing it is that you are trying to do with your lab research. Um, so, yeah, I think... You know, not only academia, but science in general needs more of this exposure. And I think obviously it's going to take a lot of effort because, you know, these things about journalism and science communication and broadcasting is only starting to emerge in science. Obviously, there's, there's been a lot of years of experience, if that makes sense, but it's not perhaps seen as the traditional 
route for someone that works in science. And I think it's really important that we as communicators defend those of our colleagues that are trying to follow those paths because they are equally necessary as being in the lab, pipetting something. Absolutely. And I think in, in, an, in a sort of a field like conservation, um, I know I know personally that you come up against so many walls with people when you're trying to talk to them about important issues. You just you're just met with this sort of no attitude. No, we don't accept mm. that. No, we're not going to make a change. And I think it's just about thinking about that and approaching it in a in a way that make helps people to not just understand it, but to engage with it. I always I always like to use the term um, a, an engager rather than hmm. a communicator because I feel like I feel like the two different words. If you're communicating something, you're just talking to people. You just hmm. you know you're not. It's not a, it's not a two way conversation. If you're engaging with someone, you're getting them excited about a subject. You're you're helping them to understand how they can become excited about the subject and involved in the subject. It's not just a this is what I do. You should listen to me. It's a this is what I do. You can do it too. Let's let's work together. Kind of yeah. And that, that's that's where I that's where I hope to go. So. Exactly. So it's kind of bringing your passion and then stemming that passion into someone else, right? So I th- which I think is really important and quite a key thing to do in science, which is not only making science more accessible, but also get that spark into someone else that perhaps thought once, like, I will never be a scientist because A, B, C, D, whatever reason. But I think it's putting that spark into people, right? Which is where the communication becomes engagement, as you were saying. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I have a, a blog where I write about different conservationists and my, my idea and my goal is to talk about these, I call them conservation heroes, but, you know, everyday people that are working to make a positive change, talk about them. So, you know, we all see these incredible people on the TV and they are all amazing and the work they do is just is just so valuable. But we don't talk enough about these the people um, that are just sort of on the ground every day making change. Exactly. And these are the people who we can relate to. These are the people who we can think, oh, I can do that too. I recently had an interview with um, a guy um, who lives fairly locally to me who uh, does every summer he goes to South Africa and works as um, a, a ranger on a wildlife reserve um, mm. looking after the rhinos. And it just it just struck me. He works he works um, in a in one of the local wildlife nature parks in in the UK, and it just struck me that he goes out and does that. That's amazing. That's something that he's he's a twenty five year old guy. You know, there might be twenty five year old guys who are kind of interested in getting into that kind of line of work, but think, oh no, that's not for me. I can't do that. But by reading his story and saying, oh, oh, this is what he does in his day to day, but this is another thing that he does. I could do that too. That's how I can do it. And I always like to talk about how people can get involved. So I don't just talk about this is what someone does. I just like again, I'm I'm saying it again, but I like to say to people you can do it too. It's not just for me. This is for you as well. Exactly. Like kind of like setting the example, right? To others. Yeah, I hope so. Inspiring them, getting people excited. I just, that's what it's all about is getting people excited <laughs> about it. Well, you are definitely getting me excited about it because I have <laughs> a lot of questions about this preservation and wildlife because it's completely different to what I do in the lab. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you, a bit more about your journey in science. Like how did you start as an archeology span degree? And then how did you achieve this 
awesome point that you are now that is helping you to shape that future in, in broadcasting that you are trying to build now. Can you tell us a bit more about this <laughs> exciting journey? How long have we got? Well, um, <laughs> as long as you wish. <laughs> okay. So as you know, I started um, as a mature student. I'd had a, a, a wiggly path. I, I, when I was in the UK, obviously we do our GCSEs. We're expected to make our decisions at 18, go to university. And that's mm. kind of it. I didn't do that. Um, I moved back from France. My family had been living in France um, and I moved back when I was 15. Um, I was thrown back into the English education system and it was a big change. Um, and because of that, because of the uncertainty, I focused on what I was good at. I focused on what I was super passionate about and still am. Um, and that was performance, music, musical theatre. I went straight into college and did that. But it's a really hard industry you know, that kind of thing. It's really difficult to get into. I perhaps didn't have the confidence um, that I do now at 18. I think we all, you know, we, we all relate to that. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I actually fell into dental nursing. I needed a job. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> so so I fell into dental nursing. And then I, I, as you know, I'm a mother to two. I got pregnant quite young with my first child and then with my second child. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was sort of, on maternity leave with my second child, I was really thinking, okay, I need to do something now. I, this is, this is it now. I was, I was what, 24 ish. Mm, and that's I young. thought that is. Yeah. And I thought, do you know what? I need to do something for me. Um, I'd spent a couple of years obviously being a mom and that's amazing, but I, there was something missing still. I needed to do something for me. I'd always had an interest in in sort of history and archaeology. My parents, you know, when we used to go on holiday, we used to we didn't go to tourist destinations. We would we would we were traveling to places and seeing the like the real cultures and historical locations, and that that's what we'd always done. So I thought, okay, naturally, let's go and let's go and do an archaeology degree. You know, everyone's goal is to be an archaeologist, isn't it? If you ask someone. What do you want to? Be, what did you want to do as a kid? And people go, oh, I want to be an archaeologist, and that's so many people say that. Um, so I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go and do it. Um, and then when I did that, it opened so many doors. Archaeology, people think. I think a lot of people think it's about digging, and you know, I will. I will a, say so. Yes. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people think that. Hang on, there's a bloke at the door. Can we pause? <laughs> I think a lot of people think archaeology is about digging, um, unearthing amazing artifacts, and part of it is. But I, and this is this is kind of where I went into an archaeology degree. But I quickly learned that there's so many different sides to it, and I eventually delved into human evolution. Um, I took a really deep dive into that and found that it was absolutely incredible. It piqued my interest, and that is how I got into great apes. Okay. <laughs> I developed, I'd always, I'd always loved sort of wildlife and nature, but I developed this huge interest in, in great apes. I had an opportunity as part of a scholarship during my degree to go and work with um, Jilly Forrester down in Birkbeck University. We did some work with um, gorillas in Portland Wildlife Park, and that was just- That's amazing. amazing was amazing yeah such a great experience and then here we go here's where I sound one day I was watching as you know your your male ambassador for the podcast Ben Garrett yes um I was watching him on 
the BBC on his program, Baby Chimp Rescue. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I want to work with him. He's pretty <laughs> nice. work with him. And I said to my mom, I'm going to message him on Twitter. And oh. she said, <laughs> said, no, you're not. Ben knows this. Ben knows all of this. Okay, um, that's, it's good to know that he knows this if he hears this. <laughs> he said, no, you're not. Don't be ridiculous. And I said, you know what? It, all he can do is ignore me, isn't it? That's, that's, yeah. that's all he can And he didn't. He didn't ignore me. Oh, that's great. And, <laughs> and somehow we, we, we developed a sort of, you know, a professional relationship. We, we, we've now worked together on at the Norwich Science Festival. He's taken me under his wing. He's a fantastic mentor. And through him, that has opened up so many doors, so many opportunities. I've met so many great people. And it's also given me the confidence to do what I'm doing now. And That's to so good. Sort of open myself up. And I think hmm. if I hadn't taken that chance of messaging this, this, this person on Twitter, they didn't have a clue who I was. And if he hadn't taken a chance on me, then I wouldn't be here talking to you right now because I wouldn't have met you either. Exactly. So, That's what so, yeah. mentorship so, is, is about, ben. right? <laughs> thanks, <Yeah>. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I felt the same when I DM'd him to be one of the male ambassadors of my podcast. I was like, you know what? He's never going to reply. But if I don't ask, I will never know. And he replies straight away. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I feel you. Thank you, Ben, for trusting us. <laughs> And sorry for Thank the unsolicited for DMs. <laughs> so yeah, so after after I contacted Ben and all, all the, the whirlwind started, that leads us to where we are now. Um, I'm obviously doing a, a master's in journalism. Um, I'm sort of starting up a podcast. I'm just in the process of uh, working out the technology um, for that, um, oh my. running that alongside <laughs> my blog. Um, and yeah, I just hope to build on that. That's that's what I want to do. I want to build on that. I want to write. I want to talk to people. I want to communicate conservation and engage people. That's my goal. That's so amazing, and it's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a. Um... It's quite a path that is marked by motivation, if that makes any sense, and by passion. And I think regardless of what you do, like if you are in the lab working with anti-cancer products, or if you are in the field and you've never been into a lab, or if you are, I don't know, behind a radio microphone, or you are doing a program on the TV, I think if your path is led by motivation and passion, then you can go wherever you want. And I always try to say that to my podcast guests, to my students, if I go to any school, uh, I've been to a couple of schools in 2021, you know, spreading the message of women in STEM, etc. And then some of the students, they were asking me like, how did you know when you were 18 that you were going to be here? And I was like, well, I didn't know because <laughs> I was 18 and I didn't know anything about life. You know, you are like this little human being that doesn't know anything, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. know anything about adult life. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden you need to take this massive decision, which is thinking about a degree or I don't know, whatever you want to do, right? It's like the, the breakthrough point of adulthood, but you are not an adult yet. You're still a kid. You know, when I was 18, I didn't know anything. I didn't know half of the things that I know now. And um, I did a degree in marine science. 
which it was amazing. Uh, and I, I learned all about preservation of the marine life. I learned about animal biology. I learned about everything and I loved it. But I didn't know that I wanted to do a career in biomedicine and thinking about therapies that are going to help people. But every point, every breakthrough point of my career, I have trusted myself and my gut instinct and whatever make me happy. So that's the best way to follow absolutely any type of career. So by hearing your story, I know that you are going to get, you know, these broadcasting events or whatever, however you want to call it. And then you are going to study this preservation and then engage people with that because your path is all about, I can see that it's led by this motivation and by this spark that you need to feel that is telling you, go there, don't go the other way. So I want to sincerely congratulate you for that because not a lot of people do that. And some people follow perhaps like a more traditional path or something that was told by their parents or whatever family or mentors. And um, I think one of the great things about Ben is that he actually mentor you to be yourself and to follow what you wanted to follow, not to replicate something that he thought it was a good path, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if when I started my archaeology degree, if you if you told me that in three, four years time, I'd be here doing this and talking to the people that I talk to and doing the work that I'm doing, I wouldn't have believed you. You know, I, I, I was still fully of that mindset that you go to university to study that subject, you continue that subject. I had no idea that the things that I did throughout my degree would open up so many doors. And I think that that's what I've learned from it is that you do a, you do a degree and that does open doors. It doesn't just open a door to say, for me, to archaeology. I went in there thinking, you know, I'm going to be um, excavating. I'm going to be a professional archaeologist. I'm going to do all these wonderful things. And in fact, next to it was another door that had this other opportunity. And you know what? I could have, I could have stayed with the first door and gone, that, that, that's it. That's, that's what I'll do. Exactly. That's what everybody does. I'll do that. But I didn't. I thought, do you know what? No, I'm going to see what this one has to offer. And it's been fruitful so far. So I'm, yeah, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're going to go super far with this. And I'm um, just asking you a bit of a technical question, really. Um, what, it's, what is this about uh, preservation of the wildlife? Like, what is exactly that you want to study or engage people with? Is there any particular species that you are interested in, or are you just trying to educate and spread the message that we all should know, you know, about preserving the wildlife and, you know, earth and stuff, which is kind of like a sensitive subject, uh, you know, especially nowadays with climate change and all the things that are going on. So what is exactly that is your aim or what work, what kind of wildlife are you trying to, is there, are you going to focus on apes or are you open to anything else? I obviously my, my passion and my heart will always be with the great apes, specifically <laughs> chimpanzees and bonobos. Um, but I don't think, I don't think I want to be selective in that way. Yeah. I think it's important to sort of talk to people about all of that. And I know people use the phrase a, a jack of all trades and a master of none, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to talk to people about the, the questions that they ask 
to do with conservation. I have people, you know, there's, there's, I don't, I don't know, I don't claim to know everything or even very much. That's why I'm learning. That's why I'm on this journey. But, you know, if, if someone wants to know or asks me about why, why is climate change happening? Why is, what's global warming? I want to be able to answer that question. I want to be able to answer the question, well, okay, this species is endangered. Why is this species endangered? Yeah. And what can we yeah. do about it? I want to be able to apply it to the whole thing. Yes. I don't, you know, yes. we're, we're on this planet, this whole planet is a, we're a whole, you hmm. know, all of us on this planet. That's how I see it. Yes. I don't want to yes. just focus on this one species over here or this hmm. one place over here. I want to, the goal is to bring everyone together, isn't it? Exactly. To work together, fix what we've done. So, you know, by encompassing it all, I hope that, you know, I can at least have a small impact. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the impact is going to be way more than small. <laughs> I can assure you that just by hearing you. Um, do you feel, which I think is something that it's a bit um, difficult to fight with, do you think in your job there's a lot of denial from people? From yeah, from the wider public, I know I have, I've come again, up against it so much, even within my mm. own family. Um, no, my- when I was when I was studying things, you know, when I was studying human evolution, I come up with with well, I'm not an ape. Uh, well, well, you are. <laughs> you are, and 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 people that go, oh yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with what you're saying, and I'm like, well, I'm glad you agree because it's. It's a fact, you know, yeah. things like yeah. things like this. And it's just, it just, it's quite frustrating, but I think it's just a part of the job that I'm trying to get into. It's just, it's just being able to deal with that and talk to people about why they feel a certain way. You know, I've got, I've got climate change deniers in my family. And at sure, the minute yeah. they're, they're very difficult to communicate with, but yeah. I'm hoping I can learn how to how to communicate with them and even just by changing a little bit of their mindset at a time that's you know that that's important and that's a positive impact you know it's 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 very easy to watch the tv programs you know the amazing tv programs and and just watch them and go oh yeah that's that's all very nice but to actually talk to people and engage with people that's how I think that's how we're going to make a difference well yeah, and if I can climate change deniers in my in my family then that's yeah that would be a bonus i mean even now there's people that they deny covid vaccines and covid itself right so there's always going to be a certain percentage of the population that are going to deny something that is a fact i think not 100 because of this reason but i think that should be one of the main reasons why we need engagers in science and communicators in science as well, because yeah. there's always going to be someone that is not going to believe what you say. And that's, that happens to me as well when I tell them, I don't know what's, what happens with tendons when they break, you know, that this happens everywhere. But with more sensitive top, uh, topics like, I don't know, COVID or climate change or apes and evolution, um, there's always going to be that percentage of people that deny what you're saying But in part because of that reason, I think it's so important that we communicate that because that denial message sometimes, unfortunately, I feel that spreads extremely quickly. It does. Misinformation. Yes. And it can lead to so much damage into the population. And I'm not trying to say that as scientists or science engagers or communicators, we are on another level because we are not. We are part of the same whole like you were saying 
Mm-hmm. But I think it's also part of our duty as science communicators and engagers to actually, you know, spread that word like this is real. This is what is happening. Climate change is happening because you see this change in seasons. You see these species that are disappearing and these are the facts. And this is what we can do as a whole and as a community to fight against that. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it with sort of climate change denying and with the biodiversity crisis, I think a lot of it is an act of rebellion and an act of refusal to accept responsibility. I think Mm. if you accept that these things are happening, then people have to accept that they have to make changes. And that's difficult for humans. You know, we, we do have that. We, you know, especially here in this country, we have a, an easy life, if you like, you know, we, we've got the technology, we've got heating, we've got food, you know, it's it's easy for us. And we, we kind, it's hard. It is hard for all of us, even people working within the field. It's hard to accept that we need to make these changes. Yeah. But I think if you, by denying it and refusing to accept it, that makes it easier to not have to make those changes. Exactly. And it's just, it's just communicating that just by making small changes, you don't have to dramatically change your life. No. But you just have to be aware and conscious. Exactly. And even small, small changes can make a big impact together. Yes. So related to this, you know, obviously um, barrier that you have in your job when you are trying to engage about these particular subjects, um, I'm going to ask you quite another sensitive question, <laughs> <laughs> which is besides of this barrier, you know, that you have people that they are going to, even in your family, that they are going to deny A, B, C and D. Do you mm-hmm. feel that this gets aggravated because you are a female communicating? Have you ever felt that this is a, you know, like a prejudgment when they just they just see you, you know? I don't know if this makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Of course it does. Yeah. I think I think it's very easy to be to be tarnished because because we are female and mm-hmm. it's very it's very easy, I'm trying to word this, it's very easy <laughs> to be branded with the hysteria and the hysterical. Yeah, I know I remember seeing a thing about reasons why Victorian women were locked up and hysteria and being hysterical and passionate mm. about a subject was one of those reasons. And I think it's very easy to be overlooked because you're deemed to be screaming and shouting about something. When in yeah. fact, we're not screaming and shouting about anything, we're trying to talk to you mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, and if you come up against somebody who thinks that they, they know better, then they are going to shut you down. And they are going to say, oh, hmm. silly you, you know. And I yes. think it's just about being being confident enough and strong enough to just stand to that, stand against that and say, well, no, no, I'm not. I'm not being hysterical. You know, if being hysterical is about being passionate about something and about wanting to create a change, then, yeah, sure, I am hysterical. But, you know. <laughs> That's your definition of hysterical, then yeah, sure, I'll take it. I'll that. take but, it. <laughs> yeah, if, but if that's what it takes, then I'm going to carry on. So, yes. Well, it's, it's, it's great that you say that. And it's very inspirational that you say that, especially to all of our uh, female audience. Um, but I think it's funny as well, in a way, because not everyone has that confidence inside as a female to say, you know, like to be subject of gaslighting, if that makes sense. Like, oh, yeah. 
am I really maybe because I think as females, sometimes we have this thing inside, you know, to say, apologize first and then go on with what you were trying to say. And yeah. I do this many, many times. Sometimes I apologize for things that I have not even done. And yeah. then sometimes I, you know, I go home and then I just, you know, I speak to myself in Spanish, like, why did you do that? Like, you didn't have to apologize in that situation, you know, but it's, it's difficult because we have that. I think it's part of like, we try to over justify ourselves because I think yes. we always had this thing in our nature, if you want to call it, like, we need to be perfect. We need to look mm -hmm. a certain way. We need to be pretty at all times. We need to be composed. We need to speak well. We need to be articulate, blah, blah, blah. Wow, it's so much pressure. Yeah. It's so much pressure to be inside this box of what society thinks it is being a woman. Like, what it is that? What, what's that question? What it is being a woman? Like, you know, you can yeah. be a woman in any shape or form that you want. Um, But especially when you try to communicate and engage about science um, and not only in your field, it happens in my field as well. You know, like maybe because of my gender identity, people will have this bias about, oh, she's inexperienced or mm. she's young or yeah. oh, she has just come back from maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And then I think sometimes it's difficult to find that mindset, not guys like you. And I think it's very important to to put that out, even if it seems a bit discouraging. Yeah. But, you know, that sentence that you say about, no, I'm not hysterical. I'm just going to mm. follow what I'm saying. I think it's so important to showcase and to put out there. Well, I think it's very easy. And I, I always think, I, you know, it, on the surface, I always think, oh, no, you know, I've not I've not come up against anything like that. You know, it's all fine. But then when I think about it and I think back to individual in, instances, I've been told to be selective about when I stand up for myself in the past because I might mm. get in trouble or I might upset people. Be selective about when you stand up for yourself. And I think, no, actually, no, I'm no, not going to be why? selective about when I stand up for myself because this is, I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm supporting myself and that's, that's important here. I've been, I've, I've applied for jobs and things within sort of academia and I've had an email back to say, are you sure you can commit to this with your children? Mm. And that's not, that's not something that I should be receiving. That's something for me. That's a decision for me to make. Exactly. That's not a decision for someone sitting slightly higher up on the chain to say, can you commit to this with your children? If I've applied for something, I've thought about that and I've decided that, yes, I can make this work despite having two children. So I think, I think we need to take, we need to be allowed to take responsibility for our own decisions. And I feel like that's something that we come up against and we forget that and we take it for granted. But as I said, if I apply for something, I've thought about it. I'm not just going for this. And then afterwards I'm going to think, oh, how am I going to do this with the kids? I've thought about it. Otherwise I wouldn't have put the effort into applying for something. <laughs> so I think we need to be allowed and we need to be afforded that sort of respect that we, you know, and, and people think, oh yeah, no, she must've thought about it. Not, don't come back at me and question that. Because I've already questioned myself. I do enough of that. You know, we always talk about imposter syndrome. I do enough questioning of myself. I don't need someone slightly higher up the chain doing that for me. To be honest, even if you didn't thought about your about it, you know, like, oh, I saw this um, job. I loved it. It created a spark on me. I'm going to apply for it. And then I will think about 
my family situation then. If yeah. that's your decision, there is no one in this planet or others <laughs> <laughs> that can tell you otherwise. I think it's absolutely crazy. And it, I'm really upset right now <laughs> to know that there is actually someone out there that decided to type this email and click send. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely outrageous. If I was about to read this email, to read this email, I would probably have replied in a very non-professional way, which I will not care about because I'm not gonna, I'm never ever gonna work with this person. Because if mm-hmm. you decide to send that to me, that means that you are not the good input for me. Like, who yeah. are you to tell what I'm gonna do with my children or with anything about my personal life that's about that's for me to decide. You know, it's like when I've heard many, many times, like I have friends from my master's and from my job uh, environment that they got pregnant. And the first thing that I said was like, wow, congratulations. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be so cute. I'm so excited, blah, blah, blah. But then others were telling them, how are you going to do this? What's going to happen with your papers? What's going to happen with your position? What's going to happen with your impact factor or your whatever it's called? Well, maybe I don't care about that right now. Maybe I'm someone else aside my scientific trajectory. I can do as much things as I want when I'm on maternity leave or when I am recovering from giving birth. I'm still the same person. I'm still the same scientist. But, you know, it's this awful Prejudgment, and I think you said a very nice word, which is respect. Mm-hmm. I think with female, sometimes I'm no, I'm no, I'm getting too passionate about this, but I just can't <laughs> avoid it. Because <laughs> apologizing think, for your passion. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Especially with you and with this podcast, I shouldn't. But you know, I feel that with females, there is this kind of. They take they take you for granted and, and they take this respect for granted. Oh, it doesn't it doesn't matter if I say this to her. Who's gonna bother? Well, I am <laughs> for starters, right? Absolutely. And I think I think that if you have children, that's what people see. They forget that I mean it's it's always been a running joke that once you become a a, a parent, you lose your identity, you become mum, you become dad, you know. That's it. You don't have a name anymore. But I think it's important to remember that you do have a name, you do have a personality, you do have goals. And that's, that's what I'm trying to push is that, you know, just because we have children doesn't mean that we don't, we suddenly stop having our own goals and our own ability and our own, you know, our own personality, because my children are separate humans to me. I am not my children and they are not me with family. And, you know, they're always going to be my priority, but also I have to prioritize myself too. Because if I lose who I am, then what kind of parent am I going to be able to be to them? Exactly. And that's kind of why I went on this journey, because when I had them, I was losing myself. And I was just a stay-at-home mum, which is, you know, which is amazing to be able to do that and have that time with them. But for me, I was losing who I was. And I've, I've got so many friends in a similar position that have been sort of stay-at-home mums and there's been just something missing. There's been, you know, the, the lack of learning and, you know, just missing that time for you because you are still a person when you're in hmm. right. Yeah. Well, I think you, you said this at the beginning of the, of this episode that you had your, your kids, right. And then 
you decided I have to do something for myself, which I think is, is great. I want to be a mom in the future. So I still have, I don't have that feeling, you know, and I don't know how does it feel to, you know, because I, I live by myself. So I, I take care of me and no one requires my attention when I go home, if that makes sense. And yeah. if I am in the lab, you know, I don't, I don't have that thing of, I need to pick up someone from school or I need to go here. Or I need to go there or someone got sick. So I need to leave, you know? So I think it's extremely difficult to, to deal with that and not experience that judgment from the outside. And at the same time, not forget that you are yourself. Yeah. So I had some uh, motherhood discussions over this season in the podcast. And then every single mother that I was going through these themes with these topics with them, they, I was like, so how do you do it? Like sometimes it's difficult for me to keep up with the day with all my tasks and then go home and be by myself and relax. So how do you do that with one, two, three kids? I just don't <laughs> get it. And then yeah. they are all like, I just do it. It's just yeah. part of my day. I just go with it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's absolutely astonishing that it's just, you know, it's, it's part of your life, but at the same time, you are you in your job, you have your goals, you have your aspirations, and then you have this one, two, three, whatever number of kids you have at home. And I think it's fantastic. And I think that's another proof to the world that don't misjudge me because I have kids or because I decide not to have kids because then there is also the other side of the judgment about, oh, you are a female, you are a certain age and you don't have kids. What's wrong with you? Well, but then if I have it, you are going to judge me again. So what, yeah. when can I win? <laughs> no, no, that's exactly it, isn't it? And I know I've got friends who I've got more friends sort of who are studying and in academia and in, the, in, in industry and stuff and they've got children. And every single one of us, we get together and we have, you know, my, my two closest friends have got children and we've been through the same degree. We were on the same degree together. Um, and still now we're all at sort of master's PhD or past that kind of level. Um, so, you know, some of them have gone into the working world and every single one of us are coming up against the same issues. And it's the same for all of us, no matter where we are, it's the same problems. I mean, I've got friends who are struggling to attend their lectures because of the timings, because of their children. And there's, it's, it's kind of presented as a, well, you decided to do the degree. That's the time, mm -hmm. deal with it. And that's not good enough. That's not good enough at all. It's academia, the working world, it needs to be accessible to everybody. We're not in the in the 1950s anymore, where a woman would stop working if they had a child, if they had children, or got, if they got married, or if they had children. You know, we're not there anymore. We're, we're hmm. well. I would like to think we're way past that, but certain time, the sometimes where I think, no, we're not. No, we're not yeah. at all. And it's always a worry. I always feel guilty if I have to cancel something if I have to cancel a meeting because I have to pick one of my kids up from school because they're sick I feel guilty I feel like I'm letting people down I shouldn't yeah. I shouldn't feel have to feel like that it should it shouldn't that shouldn't be the case at all it should be a case of right these are my my responsibilities this is part of me this is how it is exactly so yeah. how how will you put this kind of um message of inspiration or encouragement um for example you know i'm, I'm 
going towards a career in academia and hopefully <laughs> one day I'll be a lecturer and a group leader and blah, blah, blah. And like I said, I want to be a mom in science and a mom in academia. But so far I have prioritized my career for many, many years because that's what I needed. And that's what I prioritized because that was my choice, right? <laughs> so the same way that perhaps people will judge you because, oh, you have kids. How are you going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. I have encountered people judging me like, but is it really that worth that you didn't prioritize having children when you were younger. I mean, I'm not that old. Okay. Let's just leave this clear right now. <laughs> I'm not that old. Okay. But sometimes you encounter this judgment, you know, like from people like, Oh, I can, I can see why you prioritize your career, but now aren't you a bit older to have children? And if you are going to wait for three or four more years, how are you going to do that? You know, so what? seeing how how good you deal with the, with motherhood and you know with expectations because i can see you are quite a strong person and you have like the courage to don't take any bs from anyone so how would you encourage people like me that are thinking about you know including motherhood into their science whatever the trajectory is and they feel oh i'm going to be judged by this my career is going to be stopped etc I think for me, obviously, I know I come across as, a, as a, a strong and confident person, but I think it's important to know that underneath most strong and confident people, there's always that niggling doubt. Yes. And as I said, the imposter syndrome, you know, that's, we uh, know about that. Yeah, we um, know about them. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just want to talk about my journey mm. and be honest about the hurdles that I've overcome. I don't want to, you know, wash over anything and say, oh, it's all been really easy. I've never come up against any struggles. That's why I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what I've experienced and how I've got around it. Because there is a way around it. Mm -hmm. If you're prepared to sort of work it out and wiggle around, there shouldn't have to be a way around it. You know, it should just be a, this is what we do. Yes. But I think to answer your question about how I'd like to inspire people like like yourself to just to sort of go for it. I just I want to talk about my experience. I want to show you by sort of leading by example. And I think that's important in this kind of, you know, we need to have people that we relate to. I've got pe I know people that I'll say I'll say her name because she won't mind. Uh okay. Jess French. <laughs> Jess French. Oh yeah, she's she's, she's great. She's, she's an author. She's a broadcaster. I've worked with her on, um, at the Norwich Science Festival. I think she's, she's brilliant. She's a mum to two, you know, two young kids, and it's hard. But by seeing people like that and seeing people that you can see, you can relate to up there doing it, then you think, I can do that. It's going back to what I said earlier about, you know, that the guy I spoke to in Rhino Conservation, he's just an everyday normal guy you know working a normal <laughs> job in 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 nottingham and he's goes and does this amazing stuff and he makes people think oh i could do that too by watching jess and watching jess's journey and what she does i can see i can see that right okay that is possible so i hope to lead also lead by example and if i can do these things and i can put these things in place then i hope that other people watching maybe maybe starting out their career journey you know or maybe wanting a career change can see me and go oh oh that is possible okay okay let's do this so I think that's 
I hope that answers your question. I know I'm listening, <laughs> but no, no, no. It yeah. does. Yeah. It does answer the question because I think that's well, not not that I think like I believe that's one of the core values of this podcast. You know, to lead by the example. That's why. And related to what you were saying, you know, um, about interviewing in your future podcast people that are working on the ground, you know, that's mm-hmm. why I had this vision about this podcast, because you always hear about famous women in science, which they are absolutely brilliant. They were the mirrors that I was trying to, you know, see my reflection on as well, if that makes any sense, you know, such as Marie Curie or other really famous yeah. women, but you don't hear about like you said, the people who are on the ground. And mm-hmm. I think it's so important that, you know, with all these interviews and this episode of yours has been really inspirational and really passionate so far. And that's why we we can be hours chatting because it's, I think it's really easy for us, you know, to communicate and to discuss these things and exchange opinions. And that's what I wanted to do with this episode as well, to show an example of how it's done Nothing is, you know, with pink color and rainbows. There are challenges. There are people that are always going to go against you. People that are going to deny what you do. People that are going to have this bias and they will choose not to believe you just because of how you look, where you come from, or where's your gender identity. But the important thing is to keep that spark that you feel when doing something that makes you happy and just Keep going and showing to the world, your students, your audience, whoever you are talking to, that it's possible. And that's how the world can be a better place with whatever your job is, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's just, I say it all the time, it's about opening doors and creating opportunity, you know. And as you say, it's not all rainbows. It's not all unicorns and butterflies it's (laughs) it's hard work it really is hard work and but we can get there and we will get there yes fully believe we will it is and you know science I, I love science I've been I think already like nine years working in science obviously I, I mean working in labs I'm not counting the time that I was studying degree masters etc etc and it's just I love my job so much, but at the same time, it's so hard. It's mm-hmm. exhausting. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience, diligence, and courage as well to, you know, to get rejections, get, you know, judgment. In my case, papers rejected, grants rejected, jobs, yep. applications that are not even replied to. And it takes a lot of courage and diligence to keep going. But science is so beautiful and it has so many possibilities and so many roads and detours that you can take that I think it's so important that each of us are happy and just willing to to exemplify what we do and I think that's how we will get there by also grasping next generations into this this, despite of not having unicorns all around us which I would love to have a unicorn around (laughs) me but you know (laughs) absolutely I think I think a lot of it as well like I've said is just having someone that you can relate to and if you know we still this kids still think of you know on dress like a scientist day in school they all go in in a lab coat with wild hair oh yes you know goggles on 
it's that still it's still that very strong image of what a scientist is and i exactly. think that's why i think this podcast is so brilliant because it's showcasing real people and it's making people think oh yeah that's she's a bit like me i can do that it's exactly. having someone you know it's having someone on the tv that you think oh they're there and they're in a similar position to me okay okay yeah this could be possible you know we've been, we've always been had this image thrown of us at us of what a scientist is but the truth is that science is for everybody it's not just sort of one shoot fits all it's it's for everyone and it it's should global. be and exactly yeah yep. so Absolutely. if i am grasping all these elements and all this wisdom that you have just in part wisdom. today to us <laughs> yes the, the word is wisdom okay <laughs> let's just think about one scenario okay uh and this will be my last question for today for this episode then we'll probably i'm gonna keep chatting if not by voice text it will be now <laughs> <laughs> but you know you have the next generation of female scientists in front of you We want to inspire them for woman empowerment, woman incorporation, and retention in science. I think retention, retention of women in science is as important as incorporation. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them to encourage them for a career in science, however that career might look like? I think I would say to them, you're young right now, but that's okay use that youth and use the time that you have to explore your possibilities it's not a linear path as i think as i've shown it doesn't have to be a linear path you don't have to start your career at 18 you don't have to know what you want to do at 18 you've got youth on your side you've got time on your side there is a whole world out there to explore if you go for the first thing that you see how do you know that something over there isn't better i think it's about putting yourself out there creating opportunities for yourself not waiting for the opportunities creating opportunities having the confidence to go out there i think it's about learning learning that rejection will happen learning to accept rejection and learning to learn from reje rejection exactly. and from that rejection exactly. propelling yourself forward and as i say i always go back to my open doors there's going to be doors in front of you choose one if you don't like that one you can always close the door and choose the next one If you go through that door, there might be another door on the other side that opens. It's like Narnia. It's endless. <laughs> endless possibility. So I think to summarize, at 18, at 16, whatever, you don't have to know what you're going to be doing at 30. But you have to be ready to take the journey, if you know what I mean. I feel like this is going to be on a, on a, on a plaque on someone's wall somewhere, an inspirational <laughs> life quote. But I think you have to be ready to embark on a varied journey. I don't think... I think we get so drilled into us that it has to be linear. We have to know what we, what we want to do, but the truth is we don't at all. And here, here we are, here, here we both are mm -hmm. to prove that that's not the case at all. Exactly. And I think that that's exactly. becoming more popular now. You know, it's it's becoming a more popular opinion that you don't have to know what you want to do at 18. You can you can try things. It's trial and error. Life is all about trial and error. It's all about making mistakes. You know, what does Bob Ross say? Happy little accidents. <laughs> <laughs> it's all character building and it's all bringing us back to where we, where we are right now. 
everything everything that I've done, everything that I've sort of experienced, it's not been wasted. Me chopping and changing and jumping from one field to another, none of it's been wasted because everything that I've learned has culminated in sort of who I am today. So take the opportunities, go through the doors and experience the world is what I'd say. Well, this is such a good um, you know, message that I might cry right Very now. <laughs> no, it was perfect. <laughs> Well, it's great, Charlie. And um, honestly, if if when I was 18 or even younger, if I had someone like you that was to tell me that message, I will have had less fear to take many of my decisions. So I yeah. think that's why it's so important. And that's why I always finish the podcasts with this question, because when I was younger, I didn't have anyone, not even in my family, because none of my family members are scientists and I didn't mm -hmm. have anyone around me that was a scientist and was to tell me, hey, I did that. And then I changed to that. And then I chose that and then whatever. So yeah. it's so important, even if it's just, you know, a voice in your headphones to have someone that tells you this encouragement is so important. So thank you so much for this wisdom now and throughout <laughs> the whole episode, because I... This is probably one of my favorite episodes so far in the podcast. <laughs> I know it was going to be so inspirational and full of energy and, and passion because that's how you are, even if sometimes on the inside we don't feel that way. Um, yeah. But the important thing is, is in those moments where you need to engage or give an advice or something, that's where you find your strength. Um So I'm extremely happy to have you here as part of this family. I mean, you were part of this family from a long time ago, but now it's like your voice is actually here. <laughs> yes. Well, I think I think as, as, a, as a parting thought, I'd like, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure on young people. There's a lot of anxiety amongst young people. And especially, you know, there's so much stress. Young people are experiencing so much stress because they have so much pressure on them to know yes. what they want yes. to do. And I think if, if we can work to just relieve that pressure and teach them that, no, you don't have to know what you want to do. And there's people who are 60 and still don't know what they want to do with their life, but they're just experiencing life. Yeah. And I think if we, can, if we can work to relieve that pressure, then... I think we're going to work towards a new generation of flexible, multidisciplinary, varied scientists who can pull together all these skills to teach the next generation and the next generation. And I think we need to we need to start adjusting how we look at things and being more open to possibility. Exactly. Well, <laughs> this has been a true life lesson, and I hope that <laughs> everyone don't laugh. It's true. <laughs> I just hope that everyone that is listening to this episode feels as inspired and as uplifted as I feel right now. And I am so thankful um, for you taking the time to, you know, to chat with me and, and to discuss these topics. Um, as a friend, I'm really proud of you. And I'm so happy that I got you here today just to, you know, transmit this message to people. Um, and I'm so thankful um, for you being here today. And thank you for for having me on. I'm glad we managed to to get it to get yes. it done and get it recorded. I'm really happy about that. And hopefully, <laughs> if, if, even if one person takes away a mess a, a positive message from this, then my work will be complete. So, yeah, I can assure you that your job has been really well done today. Um, so yeah, thank you, Charlie. It's amazing to have you here.
Thanks for having me. Thanks.